Yesterday was a special day because Micah and Jonah were baptized into Christ. They were united in his death, burial, and resurrection. I think I've never seen somebody more happier to come out of that water than Jonah. He was very happy. And uh, I, I love baptism. It is such an incredible word picture of dying to self. Because that doesn't stop, Jonah. That won't stop, Micah, and the rest of us. We die to self every day. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Even as tough as it is, every day we die to ourselves and we put Christ first. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's a struggle. Uh, but it's a beautiful reminder and a remembrance never forget that day and when Satan comes and starts messing with you, Micah, you remember that day. Jonah, you remember that day. That's the day I declared my allegiance to Jesus. He is, he is my Lord. And Satan will come and attack you and you say, no, I remember. I've been saved. I've been cleansed. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. You just hang on to that. Hang on to that. Hey, um, I don't know if you've ever studied the book of Revelation, and uh, a lot of times it is very confusing to some. Others think they've got it all perfectly down, and I think that somewhere we're in between, but, but let me just share with you the, the gist of, of Revelation. The gist of Revelation is, is that Jesus is victorious, and the church is victorious. Now, now, the book of Revelation is, is divided up really into seven different parts. And they cover our age right now, the church age. So even though sometimes people try to read it linearly, that means they go from one to two to three, and they think it's the same progression. Really, I, I believe that John wrote from a perspective, first of all, from the church. The first part is, hey, Jesus comes and, and is talking in amongst, amongst the lampstands. And he says, guys, hold firm, hold fast. And he says, and when I come back, and again, it's, it's this when he is victorious, when he comes back, I'm going to give you the bread of life. I'm going to give you the crown of life. I'm going to give you the hidden manna. I'm going to give you the morning star. And so you're like, all right, church. And you can look at Revelation and find those seven churches all throughout the world today. Some that are lukewarm, some that are on fire, some that are in persecution. All of those churches are happening right now. That's why the book of Revelation was valid a thousand years ago, and it's valid for today. Jesus is victorious. The second half, or the, the next part, is the vision of heaven and the breaking of the seals. And how the wicked are going to get their comeuppance. And guess what, Christian? You're going to have victory. And you say, woo! We're going to have victory. And then the next part is about the trumpets that affect the world. And is our, is our world affected today by hurricanes and tornadoes and, and tsunamis and earthquakes and famines? Yeah, so, so we're, we're living in that now. What happens? It ends in judgment. Every one of the sections ends in Jesus' coming back, the church being victorious, and the wicked being judged. And then we get to probably the toughest chapters, the next division, the fourth division, division 12 through 14. It's about the dragon. And now we've changed the perspective of being in the church or being in the world and seeing all the crazy stuff that's happening physically. Now we get a glimpse into heaven and we see that there's a dragon. 
and that dragon tried to devour the Christ when he was born. And then he was swept up into heaven. He ascended. Jesus is in heaven. But it says that the dragon went off to make war against all those who follow the Lamb. That'd be us, folks. That would be us, folks. And it says, you know, that there's going to be a mark of the beast. Well, let me tell you, I believe there is a mark of the beast. I think it's been happening for 2,000 years there's a mark of the beast. Just like it says that you are marked in your forehead by the, not marked, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? So if you're a Christian, you're sealed with the Spirit. And if you're of the world, you're marked with the beast. And if you really look at it, it looks like it's the government. It's look like, it looks like that second beast might be academia. That is only has two little horns, just like a little lamb has two little horns. It looks so good. But when it speaks, it speaks with the voice of what? The dragon. So it looks nice and pretty, but the beast is going to persecute. Now, I know that we haven't experienced persecution the way others of our brothers and sisters have. But when governments start singling out and persecuting so that you cannot buy and sell unless you're part of the system, then you're seeing the mark of the beast. That's my personal opinion. You, you saw it in Nazi Germany. Yeah, the Jews didn't. They, they were excluded. They didn't get to buy and sell property. They, kicked, they had their property taken away. But you, the Christians did too. The Dietrich Bonhoeffers, those that were true to Christ, that did not accept Heil Hitler and the Nazi mark, they became persecuted. It's happening. And our world in the United States is changing. The, the world in general is changing. But at the end of this section, guess what happens? Christians, you're going to get persecuted, but who's victorious at the end? The Lamb, the church. And then we go on to the seven bowls of wrath. And guess what it ends with? Judgment and the second coming of Christ. And chapters 17 through 19 is the fall of Babylon. What, how does it end? It ends with Jesus' coming and the church being victorious. And those are set apart for judgment that have the mark of the beast. And then the last section is the devil's doom and Jesus and Christ's church becoming victorious, having a grand victory. Each of these little segments, these little vignettes, these little visions that we see all starts out with the church, persecution, victory. Church, hard times, victory. The church, God's wrath coming upon just the world in general, but guess what? We have some after effects of, of these things. And what happens? Victory. Persecution, steadfastness, victory. It always ends in what? Victory. And so I, I want you, I, I know it sounds so weird to, to talk this way and then say, isn't that encouraging? But it is to be encouraging. This is not... This is not taking God by surprise. This is part of his plan. That we will have trouble in this world. That's the words of Jesus. But don't worry. I have overcome. That is the theme of Revelation. Things are happening in the world. 
And you're going to have to be true. Be steadfast. Don't be discouraged. They say already 25% of the church's population has dropped out. They don't come to church anymore. They're just, oh, I'm just done. Not worth the risk. Not worth getting in trouble. Not worth being labeled or marked. I'm just going to sit back and ride this out in my bunker. That's not the God that I serve. The God that I serve says have no fear. Amen? There is no reason to have fear. The book tells us we're victorious. The book tells us we may be persecuted. The book tells us that we've, we've got the seal by the Holy Spirit on our forehead. The rest of the world is going to have the mark. That means that they succumb to the culture. They succumb to the government. And there may come a time where we band together just to get toilet paper from one another. Or bread. Like they do in places of persecution right now. There are places of persecution right now. If the church did not exist, people would not be able to live because they get their bread, subsistence, and work because the body of Christ loves one another. So the one thing that comes out of this is our love is to grow. Our love is to grow. Our love is to grow. And so that's, that's exciting. And there are times where that emotion comes up and you're like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And then you say, but Lord, I give it to you. I will not succumb to despair because you are my hope. And that is so true. He's our hope. He's our perfect hope. Now I'm going to segue into today's text. But I, I want to encourage you with and read the book of Revelation. You'll go, wow, that's weird. But always look to see that Jesus and the church is victorious. That's the main takeaway. And the witnesses that get slaughtered, my opinion is, is they try to shut the word down and the word comes back. They try to shut your testimony down. And guess what? You defeat the enemy by the blood of your testimony. That's how, what it says. Those are the two great witnesses. I believe that it is the testimony, your testimony of Jesus and the word of God. Those are the two witnesses that the government tries to push out, the culture tries to push out, uh, whatever beast out there tries to kill the word, kill the testimony, always what happens takes just a little bit of time. It rises back up with power. And then that word goes forth with power. So, woohoo! Okay. Now, changing, going from fourth gear to first gear. So you ready to slow down a little? Our text today is about who's the boss. It's about submission in regards to employees and employers. And uh, um, work comprises so much of our life. We, we spend more time at work than we do child rearing, more than maybe our time with our spouses. We spend more time at work. And this text will challenge your work ethic. So grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're just going to read a few little verses, and, and while you're getting there, I'm going to kind of set the mood for what kind of worker you are. They say there's three kinds of workers, by the way. Um, if you're moving a piano, there's the guy that's in the back that's lifting and pushing, and then there's the guy in the front just kind of clearing the path. 
And then the last guy is the guy that carries the, the stool, right? Which one are you? The one that's heavy lifting or the one that's eh, not doing a whole lot or the one that just gets the stool? Those are the three kind of workers. Now, here it is, the submission thing. Bond servants, doulos. It can mean actually a, a servant that you've hired, and it can also mean a slave that you, you, you own. It's, it's a wide-ranging word, but originally it meant a slave, and then it, it became more of a servant that you were indebted to. You got in trouble, you got in debt, and you owed somebody money, so you had to go work for them. And it go, continues on, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. We've been talking about this mission of submission, and if you're a wife, the way you submit is that you respect your husband. If you're a husband, the way you submit to your wife is you love your wife sacrificially. If you're a child, the way you submit to your parents is through obedience. You listen to what they say and you do it. And if you're a parent from last week, we remember that to submit to your child means that you have integrity in the home. That means if you're a yeller and then you tell your child not to yell, that's not integrity. You, you've got to train up in the way of the Lord. So have integrity in your home. And today, our text just told us that if you are the, the slave or if you're the employee, you need to obey your boss. And some of us have to swallow hard, don't we? We have to swallow hard because that's not an easy task to do. And if you're the boss, if you're the supervisor, the way you submit to your employee is you don't abuse them, you don't threaten them according to the text. So let's, let's look at this a little more in depth because does a Christian work ethic actually matter? Does, does it matter? And I have one nod. Thank you, Chris. Two nods. Three nods. Let me put it in a different light. Is the economy important and relevant to your well-being? And you're all like, yeah, the economy is important. I mean, most presidential elections are won and lost based on how the economy is going, right? So let me, let me break this down. America's work ethic. America's work ethic has everything to do. That's why I, I just laugh at socialism and communism. There's an old running joke out of, the, out of Russia, and that is they said, well, they used to pretend to pay us, and so we used to pretend to work. Because when there is no capitalism, when there's no private property, and that's what God gave the Israelites, and he's, he said here is private property. When you take away a man's incentive to work, what do you have left? You've got nothing but laziness and greed. 
And, that, and we'll talk about that because there's a conflict between workers and management and corporations and unions, each side accusing the other one of being greedy, of being selfish, of being a manipulator, of not being sensitive to the needs that they have. Employees want less work and more pay and more benefits, and, and employer, employers want more work and more profit. And outside of a Christian work ethic, greed is the number one driver of the economy. Fuels both sides. Everybody wants more. And if you want more money, then you, you, you pay your employer uh, more, or your employee more, and then the employer has to raise prices. And it's this vicious cycle of everybody wants more and more and more. In the book, Why America Doesn't Work, by Chuck Colson and Jack Eckerd, I'm just going to paraphrase this. They surmise that many in America have lost a good work ethic, a Christian work ethic, and our economic future is bleak because we have entered into the age of entitlement. This is a book written 20 years ago. We have entered into the age of entitlement. No longer is it an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. No, it's give me the money, but don't expect me to actually work. That's kind of prevalent in our, in our society today. People want to get paid because they showed up, not because they're actually doing a job. And it seems like the younger the generation is, the more that an age of entitlement has creeped in. And, well, we got to protect our standard of living, and if we're not going to get enough money, then I need to go borrow money. And if the government isn't going to do what it's going to do, then it needs to go borrow more money so it can give that money to me because I deserve it. That is not the way a Christian views work, according to Paul. Today's passage then should really interest you because it's really about your economic future, if you want to say it that way, because America needs Jesus. Let me say it again. America needs Jesus, and believers need a Christian work ethic. There was a guy in the Bible, his name was on, uh, uh, Onesimus, and his name means useful. He was a slave, and he ran away, and he ran into Paul, probably in Rome. Paul leads them to Jesus, and then he says, you know what, I... I, I'm a slave and I ran away. And what does Paul do? Paul sends him back to his master. And in verse 11 of Philemon, he says, Formerly you were, he was useless to you. A little play on his, on his actual name. He was useless to you, but now he, that he's become a Christian, now he has become useful to both you and I. When Christ comes into our life, it needs to change our work ethic. Lazy, slothful, self-centered Christian workers are a disgrace to Jesus. And lazy, slothful, self-centered Christian bosses are a disgrace to Jesus. So what does submission look like in this relationship? What is exactly a Christian work ethic? It's interesting that Paul wrote this at a time that he did because the Roman Empire was basically fueled and driven by a slave population. Do you know the Romans thought it was beneath them to work? 
they had entered into an age of entitlement. And they expected everything to be done for them. But the Bible has a very high view of work. Work brings you dignity. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, Man, the one thing that I noticed that a man can eat, sleep, but enjoy his work, that he throws himself into his work, that work is not a curse. Change that perspective. When you come to Christ, work becomes a blessing. It's a blessing. 1 Timothy says the same thing. 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. Let me just turn, turn there and just read it to you. 1 Timothy, he says this. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants, all you employees out there, regard your own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching, the gospel, will not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they're brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since they who benefit by their good service are believers and are beloved. So what kind, is it, what kind of worker is a Christian? That's a first and only. What kind of worker is a Christian? Real second fast, the second fill in the blank is, first of all, according to the text, it says that you're obedient. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Not subjectively when you want to, not conditionally when they treat you nice. First Peter says, hey, if you suffer because you got a lousy boss, God's watching and he's going to pour his grace out upon you. So don't complain. We've, I know, it's just human nature and the world we live in. We've all had lousy bosses. Say amen to that. We've had lousy bosses. How many of you took the way of the flesh and complained? I did. Paul is saying don't. He says because when you don't complain and you're just obedient, God sees this. God appreciates that you're willing to suffer under an unjust authority because it reveals your heart. How much more are you going to be obedient to Jesus when he lavishes blessings on you when you're obedient in the small things like being obedient to a ruthless boss, a boss that tears you down, a boss that backstabs you, a boss that promotes everybody else but you. And you're sitting there and you just think the only gain is right here, but this is a spiritual battle that's going on. And God is saying, hey, I've got your back. I'm going to bless you. You may not get to see the fruits right now, but this is gracious. This is precious to me. What I see you do, putting up unjustly with a ruthless boss. And the first thing that we have to do is be obedient to our employer or to our boss, to our supervisor. There is an exception, though. The exception is if they ask you to do anything immoral. That's where you can draw the line. When it goes against what Jesus has taught you, then you say, I can't, I can't lie on that report. I can't say that you're here or not here when the vendor comes. And, and No, tell, them, tell, tell the boss this or tell, tell the owner this. Or Wait a second. That's your supervisors that's talking? You're going to have to say, no, i, I got to draw the line. I'm not going to do something immoral. I'm not going to fill out the tax forms wrong for you. 
I'm not going to doctor up the invoice. I'm not going to hide money for the company. I'm not going to do all these things if it's immoral. So we are to be obedient. And the first obligation is to please Jesus and have a faithful testimony to him. As you would Christ, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Jesus. People that watch you at work, your co-workers, if you don't have a Christian work ethic, you, have dis- you are destroying, I won't be so absolute that you've destroyed your witness, but if you're lazy, if you hide in the bathroom, you, how many of you guys know those people that hide in the bathroom? And then they come up, at, at, they come out after the work. They've been gone for 20, 30 minutes, you know, and it's habitual. It, and what, if you're that person, you are destroying your witness for Christ because a person for Christ has a good work ethic. And if a Christian finds the place that they're employed to be too hostile, quit. Don't be fearful. Move on. Get to a place where you think that you're going to not be asked to constantly be immoral. If you're constantly being asked to be immoral, you should quit. You should move on. If you can't stand it, don't complain to God. Ask God for another job. Are you with me on that? It's not an enclosed loop. You say, God, get me out of this situation. But as long as you're employed, you should work as unto the Lord, as to the best of your ability. And if you work for a Christian brother, don't think that you can still slack off because your testimony still counts. It still counts. Don't think you that you should be given preferential treatment because you're a Christian. Maybe you'll be the one that's asked to clean the toilet instead of the non-Christian. Because they know you're going to do a great job and you're going to have a happy heart about it. If we're to be respectful and obedient to unbelieving masters, how much more should we then be obedient to a brother in Christ? Now, there's Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 talks about having a good work ethic. How a believer works his job, how he works it reflects on Jesus regardless of what kind of human master you have or employer. This word, again, hupo, paso, means to submit, and hupakuo means to obey, you listen under. And if your boss asks you to do it, you do it. And it's in the present tense, you keep doing it. Now, here's the second fill in the blank, or B. How can you be a good worker? You understand the boundaries. According to the flesh, while the authority and submission is important, it's only temporal. Your boss is not going to be your boss forever. And some of you had a sigh of relief and said, amen. You know, you, you, this boss is temporary. Even if it's 20 years, it's temporary. And again, it doesn't apply to spiritual or moral things if they ask you to do something wrong. You understand the boundaries. That's what it says. Obey your earthly masters. Right there, he says earthly. Not heavenly, earthly masters. And if your earthly masters are earthly, then there's boundaries. And those are those boundaries. If Don't cross over and do something. 
immoral. Because according to the book, according to the Bible, according to the word, who's really your boss? Jesus is. So what kind of worker is a Christian? C. Here's the next small blank. He's got a great attitude. It says with fear and trembling. That, that's not, not cowering in fright, but meaning with honor and respect. And if you can't respect the person, respect the position. Just like King David did with Saul. He didn't respect Saul, but he respected the position. And sometimes that's all you're going to have to muster up. Is you're like, you know, I, my boss is not a good boss, but I'm going to respect the position. I'm going to do what is told, I'm told to do. I'm going to move this rock pile from here to here, even though I think it's absolutely stupid. I'm going to do it because I respect the authority. And he says, do it. And, and so you have a great attitude. Yeah. G guys, there are people out there that, that have poor attitudes inside, but they look like they're doing a great job. What about the guy that spits in your hamburger because he sees that he doesn't like your political affiliation? Or that you're a police officer, or you're an EMT, or you're somebody that he doesn't like because you look funny, and they spit in your food. Oh, and, and then they come up and they serve it like, oh, here's your salad, ma'am. Here's, here's your burger. Oh, look, I'm serving you. And inside, they have a terrible attitude, a destructive attitude. And so we, we have to have a, a great attitude. When, when we have a great attitude, it is a testimony to the unbelievers. It's an encouragement to other believers. And it's an act of service according to the, the, the word. It's an act of service to God. And so have, have a great attitude. And maybe have to work yourself up on your way to work. i got to have a great attitude, Jesus. I need a great attitude today. I want to come in and see people the way you see them. I don't want to see the physical fight. I want to see the spiritual fight. I want to see the bear trap that they're in and how I could really just pour gasoline on them and light them on fire with my word. No, I need to see the way you see. I need to have a good attitude. Lord, give me an attitude adjustment. That's what we do. That's what we have to do. Otherwise, the flesh takes over and we come in and we're snarky. Next one is genuine. It's funny that it, he, the word for heart is uh, cardia, but here it says, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. It, it, it literally means to be single focused. Your obedience isn't to be hypocritical or superficial, but genuine and thorough, without complaining, without bragging, without criticizing the work of others. Boy, how much happier would your workplace be if people stopped criticizing other people at your workplace, tearing them down, trying to step up over people? That's not how a Christian works, according to Paul. And being disruptive, disru disruptive, you know, you can rock the boat. You can change the attitude of the office or the dock or wherever you work. You can change the attitude by rocking the boat. As a Christian, you can't do that. And so that genuine, be genuine, sincerity of heart. E is this. Work, work really hard and well to please Jesus. There's lots of reason why people work hard. They want to raise. They want on the inside click. They want people to, to honor them and give them prestige and say, oh, you're so smart. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. Those are kind of fleshly reasons why we're supposed to work hard. 
We're supposed to work hard because it pleases Jesus. That's the bottom line. We, we work hard to please Jesus, and it speaks to our motive. Regardless of our boss, we're going to work hard. We do everything out of the love of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Do you catch that? Everything you do is, is for the love of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, for his glory. That's why we are hard workers. When we're asked, we don't grumble and complain. And why don't you get George to do it? George never has to close. You, why do you give me these shifts? Do you not? And, and it's just like, come on, guys. F is you're a hard worker. It says doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. We don't do the minimum that the job requires. And this whole thing about being an eye service, it, it's funny that it has the word ophthalmologist in it. It actually means that you look busy when the boss is watching. You look busy when, when the owner walks by. You look busy, and it's all for show. And he says, don't do that. Colossians tells us, when you work, work heartily unto the Lord. It's funny that, you know, if I had a, a time, I'd have a little object lesson uh, because I was in the shampoo business and I made shampoo and, and, and all that stuff. Shampoo, you got to squeeze. You have to have external pressure to squeeze it out of the bottle if it's thick, right? Like toothpaste, you got to squeeze it and it comes out. That's external pressure. And then we made aerosol products that had this internal pressure. The, all you had to do is push down on the nozzle and what happens? Whoosh, the stuff comes out. Why? One's external pressure, one's internal pressure. And Paul is saying, you are to be a great worker because of the internal love that you have for the Lord, not because your boss is gonna get you in trouble. Not because you're trying to show off in front of your boss. You have this internal mechanism. That's why he uses the word heart again. Says you are a good worker. You're a hard worker. And then you get rightly paid. The next fill in the blank. Says you will receive back from the Lord. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or if he's free, whether he's a slave or not. You are getting credited in your heavenly account. Your boss may not know what a good worker you are, but the Lord does. I remember one time in the shampoo business, it was a hot day in Southern California. It was in the warehouse, had no cooling worked our tails off getting a whole bunch of orders out but you know I work hard all the time that's the way I was raised that's the way I, I learned so I come into the office to like pick up my paycheck I'm sweating to death but it was like any other normal day and my boss says hey was it tough out there today and just then he starts pulling out this wad of cash and he's gonna spiff all of us with a 20 or something right and I, I wasn't even cognizant of what was going on. I'm like, just another normal day. I'm sweating to death. And that money went right back into his pocket. 
The Lord saw that. The Lord sees how hard you work. Whether you're in school and you're working hard on your lessons, Jonah and Micah, it is that work ethic. It is when you are asked to do a job, you do it to the best of your ability because God is watching you and he's banking your paycheck. You've got a retirement that's out of this world, that's not in this world. He's watching how you, because the way you work tells the world who's your boss, your real boss. He's a carpenter from Nazarene, or from Nazareth. Everything that's done in his name for his glory is going to be credited to your account. Bob, I know you had 10 years of a guy that was over you that made sure that you were never going to be promoted. You were never going to get a pay raise. You were never going to be allowed to, to move up. And, man, you endured and you endured and you endured, and finally God removed that. Sometimes that's, happen- that's what happens. You're in a, you're in a hole. You're, you're in a, a situation where you're working, you're working, and then God suddenly moves and, and things are better. But... Every time you suffer unjustly, God is watching. God is knowing. God is rewarding. Now, let's flip it. What kind of boss is a Christian? Masters, verse 9. Do the same to them. He he basically says it doesn't matter if you're an employer or employee. you got to act the same. Same things. you got to be... A hard worker, you got to do uh, have genuineness. You've got to have the right attitude. The fill-in-the-blank is the same way. You, you have love, you have concern, you have submission. And the value you place on your employee is independent of their productivity. Well, I like Scott more than I like you because he performs better. He makes me more money. He's a better worker, so I'm going to treat you different. No, 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 no. That's not what scripture says. If you're going to be a boss, you're going to treat people with value, everybody, with respect. You're going to love them maybe to your standard, but you're not going to threaten them. That's what the text says. Knowing that do the same, stop your threatening. No threats is the next fill in the blank. Motivation to your employee isn't based on fear or anger or critical spirit. Let me just sum it up this way. Let's close her down. Do everything for the love of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, and you will have the greatest work ethic. And whether you get rewarded or not is not the issue. The issue is your life reflecting God himself. Father God, I thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of being in the church today with other believers. We love you. We thank you. Father, I know that Jesus had a mission. Jesus was on task. In the last few weeks of his life, it says that he charged forward to Jerusalem. And the disciples and the apostles were like weirded out because they knew what Jerusalem meant. They knew that there was opposition there. They knew that he would get in trouble. They didn't know he was going to die, but Jesus did. 
and he stayed on task. And we looked to him for our work ethic. People criticized him, but he kept going. People tried to trap him, but he kept going. He was the great I am. And we come now in this time of communion to celebrate him living in us, changing us even in this area of submission. Father, some of us aren't good workers. Some of us are lazy. Some of us take the easy way out. Some of us just hope we don't get caught or willing to take the risk. Father, break that off of us as we suddenly realize that we are to submit to you even in this way. And we celebrate with the bread and the cup the return, the coming, the victorious return of our Lord and Savior. Come get your bride. In the name of Jesus we pray.